0: what is up everybody it's the 16th of may and i'm here to be with you because thursday is our day that's you and me who says i can't i mean people honestly think i can't sing that's 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 a theory that people have it's only that larson can't sing did you just hear that i thought it sounded great it was all an improv i thought it sounded great something that rhymes with improv i'm not saying i can like write songs but i'm saying i do not have (sighs) what some have said in the past including my wife and my mother that i don't have a good voice because i think it's pretty decent uh how's everybody doing thank you for Tune into the Throughline Podcast. This is Jay Larson here with you as always. Uh, you know, you my website Jay Larson Comedy, Instagram, J Larson Comedy, Facebook, Twitter. I'm never on Twitter. I love Instagram. Um, and my email. If you want to ever email me about anything, holidaybakeryproductions at gmail.com. Reach out and be like, hey, how about getting this person on? Uh, reach out and say, hey, you know what I loved about this week's app? Or just anything to give me insights to make this podcast as good as it can be. And we'll keep growing and keep sharing it with other people and getting great guests on. Um, because that's why, that's why I do this, you know, is to get great guests that... You will enjoy that I'll enjoy. and if you know someone out there that I'm unaware of, please let me know. Um, if you're in Los Angeles a bunch of shows this weekend, tomorrow night at the improv at 10:15, West Side Comedy theater at 8, Saturday night at the improv again at 10:15, Sunday night, excuse me, I'm um, 8:30 in the main room and then 11 o'clock in the original room. So there's five shows if you live in Los Angeles and would like to come out this weekend. And let me know. Say, hey, man, I listen to the through Line. Because I always appreciate appreciate hearing that. Um, you guys are the best. Please keep sharing. And thank you for listening. This week's guest I'm excited to have on. Uh, I've known this dude for a long time through comedy. Had him on The Crab Feast back in the day. And uh, super great guy. And he is totally just shot through the radio ranks in the last five years. He runs and hosts a morning show in Los Angeles, 6 to 10 a.m. every day, 97.1 Amp Radio. Name is Brian Moot, is my guest this week. Uh, Give him a follow up there on social media if you don't already at Moot Comedy, M-O-O-T-E-C-O-M-E-D-Y on Instagram. I'm sure that'll lead you to everything else you need to know about him. Uh, But a super great guy. Uh, I love sitting down with him and I hope you enjoy the podcast as much as I did. Boom.
1: There we are. Good to go,
0: Jay. Amp Radio Studios. Dude, how badass are you? Someone goes, "Hey, do you want a podcast?" and you're like, "Do you want to come to my studio?" <laughs>
1: yeah, come over to the station. Uh we got all the gear over here. It's, you know, we we can stare at the K-Rock
0: studio, Amp Studio, you know, just feel like, you I think, know, Cosmic Professionals. It's insane. This is insane, dude. I well, mean, this you. is crazy. Um, by the way, I just want to say I first of all, I was in the lobby. I'm like, yeah, I'm here to see Brian Moot. They're like, yeah, okay. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, they got a Miss Pac-Man game. I'll get on that. Have you played that? Yeah, yeah, the lobby games. That remote, the joystick on it is, it's, it's. I had to walk away from the game. <laughs> wasn't it, it? Wasn't sensitive enough? No, it's crazy. It's, it's literally like going from. Uh, power steering to like just going old school. Well, that that is the worst when you have the one like uh, on those
1: those tabletop old school joystick games where one side. It's even worse when you're playing against someone else on something. And one side to go right, you got to like really put the elbow and you got to jam it in there, yeah. and then it gets stuck on that side. You got to crank it over the other way.
0: Yeah. You're right. That's amazing. And that was like a new table. That looks like, you know, like one of those ones where they put in a bunch of games. Oh, it is. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is,
1: I think it's all jacked up because they put it in there for, you know, people who come to the station to get concert tickets from whatever they bring their kids and stuff. So we got like a claw machine. It looks like a Ricky Schroeder from Silver Spoons
0: designed our lobby. Dude, it totally <laughs> like, does. You got a disco ball and like video games, claw I, machine. I started at the claw machine. That's where I'm like, oh, I'm going to knock this claw because I crush claw machines. It wouldn't I wouldn't take my cash, bro. Is it free? Oh, you play? gotta get they give you little like
1: radio tokens at the front desk. We'll do it before you leave. No, listen, don't treat me like one of those kids <laughs> who comes in here. You know
0: what? Okay, I'll get you a shirt. Jay, uh, you want me to get you a shirt? No, I don't the back? want a shirt. <laughs> um I was gonna say to you when I walked in, I'm like, I remember when you were gonna take your first radio gig and you're like, I don't know, should I do it? Yeah. Remember that was three three gigs ago? Yeah, that was like six and a half years ago, six years ago in Seattle.
1: And uh, I was nervous about it because L.A. with comedy, every time you you leave to do anything, people just anything. assume you're dead. Yeah, and they're like, ah, good, less
0: people trying to get spots. Hundred percent.
1: So for my first job, I was so paranoid about people thinking that I'd like quit stand up and were saying good that I didn't tell anybody I even took a radio show. So I didn't even move out of my apartment. I lived with my aunt in Seattle. And and like everything about my life just said Los Angeles stand up, and then I just I could never leave Seattle because I didn't realize when you start a brand new show, the amount of time you have to do just hustling, being out on the streets, meeting people, going to like weird events. You mean doing the radio show up
0: there? Exactly. So yeah, what do you yeah. mean it was a new show? The show didn't exist. It was you a just brand came, new show. Yeah, you rolled and, in. And
1: same okay. with the show that I'm on now in Los Angeles, Amp, uh, Amp Mornings with Edgar, Brian and Chelsea. It's like
0: six to ten every morning. Six to
1: ten. But the difference is, is that, so I've, from Seattle, I moved to Atlanta and was on The Burt Show, which is a syndicated national show. Yeah. And that show has been crushing Atlanta for 17 years. And then what happened? Just a spot opened up? Uh, yeah. Carson retired from radio. Yeah. Apparently, just TV was what he wanted to do, which makes sense.
0: Yeah. And, yep. uh, uh, Carson Daly, not Johnny yeah, Carson. No, yeah, Carson Daly, yeah. People are like how Johnny's old is this oh episode? God. <laughs> right. We're know? talking in those old desktop microphones that sound like they're <laughs> old, can. how bad are those things. Like? Hello, everybody. Yeah. We're going live, Jay Larson. Have you watched any old Johnny Carson clips in the last two years? Not in the last two years now. Do yourself a favor and everyone out there, go watch a couple because his his comedy and like his monologues are still progressive. And he used to sit at the desk just smoking butts, dude. I remember doing a comedy festival in Norfolk, Nebraska, the Johnny Great
1: American C- Comedy Festival. Yeah, and that I've always was the fir- to do it. first time I was introduced to Johnny Carson cuz I didn't really grow up in a night like what a night. What do you night, mean? I, I didn't really grow up in a But you didn't meet him. Late night house. No, no, no. No, no. he's he's passed. Yeah. Um a late night household. Like no one in my house watched late night television and there was nobody that was into comedy. So I didn't really, like, I was not introduced to that at all. Yeah. So it was fascinating to see. It's like when you watch Richard Pryor for the first time on, like, a DVD or listen to him, and you're like, like, man, this dude is, like, doing everyone's jokes. (laughs) (laughs) You realize, like, he did them all first.
0: Yeah. You're like, whoa. Not to mention, dude, I watched uh, Richard Pryor's special from Long Beach maybe, like, 10 months ago. Do you realize... So you've are you watching a lot of comedy specials that have been coming out in the last couple of years? So, there's so many specials that come out.
1: Yeah, I try, I try to watch at least like a good 15, 20 minutes of everybody's yeah. one hour on yeah.
0: Netflix. Well, so you see, everyone comes out. Tons of them are coming out to standing ovations or there's like mm-hmm. these big beginnings. Richard Pryor's, he comes out and people are still getting seated. And really? he just goes, all right, let's go get your seats. Come on, get your seats now. He didn't care about some giant like you know escapade to show himself off. He was like, I "Guess sit down, sit down, and then I'll get to my joke." It was unbelievable. That's funny. Like he's doing some belly room show, <laughs>
1: like he's, you know, like, well, yeah, like like that weird open open bar, you know, like open mic at a bar where like some of the comics don't even have anybody. You got to bark them in. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. So then
0: from Atlanta, Atlanta was on a. Um, so uh, hold on a second. Yeah, yeah, wait, because because I first of all. What a power move bringing me into your studio. It's like I'm on your show. <laughs> no, two, man. It
1: just makes so much more sense. I know
0: it does. It totally does. But two, I was going to say, like Atlanta is one of my favorite cities yeah. I've ever been to. And I tell people, I'm like, I feel more at home in Atlanta outside of the weather than I do anywhere because I don't go There's no city you go to where everywhere you go almost, it's 50% black, 50% white, or a variation. And even restaurants Fifty percent of the people working are white, and fifty are black, and eating are fifty percent white and fifty percent right. black.
1: It's uh, I love Atlanta. I still, uh, my girlfriend and I have a house out there. She works out there. I'm out there a lot to do stand up. Um, it's a city that has three years of my life. On a radio show that was very popular, like, you know, everybody knows, everyone listens to it. It's radio folks out in Atlanta are more famous than television people. It's really because of just the, the amount of driving people do in that city. Yeah. So, and I agree with you, one, the weather is awful. The humidity is unbelievable. But one thing I loved about it that I noticed because I grew up in Seattle and Seattle is a very white place. Yeah. And there's neighborhoods that are traditionally more like black and Asian and there's a little bit of, you know, gentrification in those areas and stuff. And you, and, but it's like you notice when you're like around people of other ethnicities, whether that, you know, whatever that be. Yeah. In Atlanta, you roll in and it, it's just not surprising that your dentist is black. Like, yeah. In a, in like, you just rolling, like, oh, look at that. Like, that's not something I, like, I,
0: I don't notice it anymore, but I know the first time I went in, I was like, oh, shoot, my dentist is a black dude. That's not something that happens in Seattle. That is not something that happens Yeah. My friend said to me, like, I always bring this up when I talk about Atlanta, because it's just like, I don't know, just something about it felt so comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that. I'm like, you know, like, sometimes when you're in, same thing, black neighborhoods, everyone working at a place is black or eating at a place is black. You know what I mean? Right. But there it was this mix and someone goes to me who grew up in Atlanta goes, yeah, you know what the difference was? I had friends, he's white, that were white that had black bosses. hmm There's not a lot of places that that's the case. Same thing with having a black dentist. You know what yeah. I mean? Lawyers and, or just and even random stuff too. Like, Guys like guys that
1: managing the enterprise rent a car, and then the, the the dude that goes and gets your car is a white dude. Yeah, it. It's like they're in the city of Atlanta. It's, it's it's there's so much more diversity in terms of of people and ethnicity. Now once you start hitting the burbs, yeah, Atlanta is also interesting in a in a, a way where like some of the neighborhoods that you know quote unquote like oh ghetto or like it's a little bit more on the hood side, like it's rural. It's yeah. very rural, and same with the, some of the the cities that are traditionally more white. It's very rural once you get outside the city, but still, like, there's a lot of ethnic diversity, like, even in the South in general. Just, just totally. how fascinating that is where there's some towns, like, in the middle, like, you just come to, like, Macon, Georgia, which is 70% black. And then I was, I was doing a parade there for the radio show because we were syndicated there.
0: Whoa, hold on. What do you mean you were doing a parade? I was just in a car for the radio station, oh, okay. just me, yeah. sitting in this car. What kind of car? Were you sitting on
1: the back Yeah, of I was like, oh, yeah, to be cool like that. It yeah. was like a Corvette. I was sitting on the back edge and waving to people. And I it took me it, like a couple minutes. In, and I was like, I'm the only white person involved in this entire parade. Yeah. And no one seemed to think it was odd. No, like people were running. Like I was high-fiving people. People were running up to. And I think that for me, growing up in a traditionally white area, you just don't. Like that's not like you expect anything different. Yeah, but it's just like you'd, be lying, you know. you'd be lying to yourself if you if you were saying like oh, I just never anticipated on,
0: on like you know ethnicity not being something that jumped out a little more. Totally, dude. So let me ask you this because I find so I've been off booze for like nine months and then really being good enough, for you, thanks. It's been good because I usually get anxiety, especially social anxiety mm-hmm. and in comedic circle anxiety. I think a
1: lot of, con- like I, a lot of us develop that where you just get nervous not knowing what to do with your hands when you're at like the improv bar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you're like, oh, God, I gotta need something. God damn it, give me something. But you go, going from that show in Seattle, so you just, like you said, it was a new show. Right. Right. So you there's no, I mean, there's... Not really pressure because you're going into like a new thing, but going to Atlanta—that's an established show, yeah, a new yeah. city, or a different guy. How do you even like? And I think this is important for a lot of people. Like, how do you find a way to fit into that environment? Not—I'm not saying racially. I'm just mm-hmm. saying like going into a new new gig. Were you intimidated? How long did it take you to feel like? Were you worried that you were going to get axed after like two months if you weren't good? Um, I mean, I don't really remember exactly. I remember being
1: stressed out because of the demands of the show being like, hey, you got to open up your life. Yeah, tell me what that is, first of all. And so... What time are you getting there every day? I'd get there about 5.15 a.m. Yeah, the show starts at 6.00. Generally, for like top forty morning radio, we start around six. We do sometimes we do replays, yeah, at five thirty for people that are you know up earlier commuting at night. But it's generally ratings don't really start till six, so like no one really is on the. Air and you go till six. ten, and then from ten to what do you do pre prep for the next. Day. Uh, ten usually Mondays are usually the biggest days. We're here till about noon one, and then it depends on whether you have to tape commercials or yeah, you know for for an established show like I was in Atlanta, it was kind of like hey, go do what you want, just come with content the next day, so get out, live your life, set up stuff on the side, you know, to, to have interesting stuff to talk about, and for me, it was, hey, go learn, go learn Atlanta, go, you know, yeah. like, listeners are going to send you to, they're going to tell you, like, the, their favorite rib place, or their favorite, you know, bar, dive bar, whatever. Jeez, it sounds like the life. Yeah, it was great, and, you know, you're going, and you're learning, because they want, like, fresh eyes, every city loves
0: hearing about, like, the rookies' new experiences. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite songs, by the way. Fresh eyes, it's out of my wheelhouse. It's out of my radio wheelhouse, Jay. Well, you better (laughs) for someone who's in it. It's not fresh eyes. It's uh, I
1: forget what it's called, but Um, but the thing that was intimidating about that show specifically was they were very like personal story driven, you know. And I I had just uh, I had moved there with a girl that I'd just gotten married to, after knowing her for three months what Who, uh <laughs> yeah it's kind of a wild story what how did that happen so i met a girl she's from london she was on the x factor uk like uh oh like in 2000 God, right. 2000 i want to say 12 or 13 and I was like into it. I was, I was kind of. I was like, oh man, you're in love, Brian. This is this true? Had and you been in love before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, i i not in, not. I hadn't really been in a committed relationship in probably five or six years before that because yeah. you know touring, and then you're like, nah, I'm just gonna do my career right now, man, and just yeah, be on man. the road. And I met her, and she was like, hey, I gotta move. My my visa expires January first. Right. I remember I, the story. I gotta move back to the UK, and I was like, well. If, uh, and she goes, I might try to see if my, like, gay friend will marry me. And I was like, you know what, Brian, don't be a big pussy. Like, go for it. You'll always regret never doing it. And so we got married. Uh, it was, like, kind of a very, like, courthouse situation to Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, like, two days after that, I got the job offer to go to Atlanta.
0: Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, grief, self-esteem, and more. Hey, I'm going to say this straight up. We're all going through something. And if you're not, it's still good to just have someone to reach out to. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential and it's extremely convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's affordable. I mean, that's a lot of... I hear a lot of people because I've gone and used therapy for years and people tell me like, yeah, but I just don't have insurance or it's too expensive. Well, here's your, here's your chance. Right now, Uh, you can get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash throughline, T-H-R-U-L-I-N-E. So get started today. Go to betterhelp.com slash throughline, T-H-R-U-L-I-N-E. Simply go there, fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched up with a counselor you will love. Head on out there, get it done today. I think it's good for everybody.
1: And she was excited about it initially. And then when we got to Atlanta, she hated it. And she hated it for a lot of reasons. She hated it. Hated it. Like your little radio show. Um, She hated it for a lot of reasons. One, she hated the fact that I was talking about our life, so, like, personally. Yeah. On the air. She just hated it. Did you that. know
0: that going into that gig that they wanted you to, like, be sharing? Or did you just, did it seem like a fit? Or did it seem like the fit that they wanted? It seemed like the fit. It seemed like a fit for me
1: personally, and it seemed like the fit they wanted. I I think that she wasn't into uh, per se the the part of sharing like life, right? Like so, I, for example, one day I rolled in, but she was on what was she on X Factor UK, but but that the UK X Factor is very much like they paint you as a villain or a hero, and they don't like they don't waver on that. So yeah. and she was kind of a villain on the show, so they where I think she was more sensitive to I don't I want to control what is said about me anytime, any place. Gotcha. So I remember, for example, you know, on the way our pro- process worked out there and here too in LA for a certain extent is hey, send an email, what kind of crazy storylines do you have going on in your life? You know, are you like, do you got something coming up you're nervous about? Like the what stakes are on it? You know, are you struggling with anything in your mm-hmm. relationship? Let's put that out there, of course. And I remember one morning um, the host of the show was like, "Hey, man, how's your morning?" I'm like, "Crazy." I was like, "I, I woke up this morning, 4:45. I go to the shower, I go take a shower, I come back, and my wife is crying, and she says she woke up feeling fat." And I was like, "I just don't. I can't wrap my head around someone waking up feeling fat at 4:45." Totally. And he's like, "Don't say anything else." And I'm like, "Oh no,
0: we are live on."
1: Yeah. Then he like we hit on uh, the morning show starts, and and I'm like coming at it from a point of like, look women are fascinating i don't understand how you can wake up feeling fat i know that we all have moments in the day where you know something happens like maybe we split our pants or you know what
0: do you mean maybe that's happened to me at a wedding <laughs> oh
1: really oh yeah
0: with no underwear on <laughs> really yeah oh wow i was like going home for a friend's wedding and mm-hmm. I, I knew there was a suit back at home so i'm like oh, i'll just grab that suit and you know i'd put on weight yeah that's. The- i split those pants right down the middle of my ass and all i did was grab the jacket tie it around my waist and crush it that's funny See, you look like a tennis player like, just <laughs> like a tennis
1: player who yeah i dress it up but i still keep it real but hey disguise everybody relax um so yeah and she was i remember like the break ended and she was seething she was blowing my phone up just texting me and i was like oh man this is was like- she listening every day to you Yeah. And I would tell her not to be like, don't listen. Like, yo, uh, like they ask me, what am I struggling about in my relationship? Like what? You know, we're and we're new to the city. I would have been
0: like, bitch, you married me to stay here. I know. (laughs) Well, that was an elephant in the room that you can't throw out there. I mean, how do you even first of all, one that was always a fantasy of mine. Always. To had to just do the keep someone in the country. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fantasy, man. <laughs> it really was a, it was a nightmare. When I had, like, I remember, like, hearing about that when I was, like, 14 mm-hmm. or 13. Like, oh, that's something people do. And I was like, what? Yeah, like, I saw. I think I saw a rom-com about that. And it worked, it worked out fine. It worked out great. They actually fell in love. But, I mean, uh... Obviously, for you so did you tell yourself that you' were in love or were you like, oh this will just be fun or well I mean I, how long do you have to stay married like two years I did well no that that's
1: not a lot that's not a thing so as long as you can prove that w- when you got married under um legitimate circumstances yeah you you're good you can get a divorce the next day when we went to do her like but that wouldn't be legitimate then well th- no like you can go as soon as the uh like the part like immigration says, yeah. It's a legit marriage. You could file for divorce literally the next day, and they can't tell you, like, oh, you did this, yeah. it was a scam, because people get divorced all the time for whatever reasons, right? Yeah. So like, when I, we got married, I was like, yeah, like, I love this chick. It's exciting. It's like, this is going to be a fun adventure. And also, I'd always regret not doing it. I'd always See? look back and- and I've, that's always been my thing that guides a lot of my big decisions in life, like to leave Atlanta and come to LA and do radio. One, I've always wanted to be back in LA to do stand-up and yeah. do show business. And radio in LA is huge and awesome and it's a challenge. It's stressful. But I know if I stayed in Atlanta, knowing that LA had like come after me, yeah. I would be sitting in Atlanta listening to the to the Ant Morning show every single day, being like, Oh man, you idiot. Yeah. You could have done, that could have been, oh, i do it this way, and I just can't have that in my life.
0: No way, dude. Like, you just can't do that. Isn't it crazy, though, from where you were in LA doing stand-up, right, and having that anxiety of taking that Seattle gig, right? okay, to now, the job you have now, every stand-up that isn't famous would do anything to have your job. Yeah, it's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, you... You jumped the shark almost. You went this, and it didn't take you that long, man. Well, I, you know what's funny? I've always, I, I just never had
1: the courage to do it when I was younger. And I think, like, I'm a, someone who grew up with a lot of pressure to be, you know, to have a job. My, my dad's a lawyer. My mom's a nurse. Well, uh, my dad was a you, lawyer. Your dad's been a lot more than just a lawyer. <laughs> he, he was a jailhouse lawyer for a while, too. Um, so, How uh, long was he in jail? Uh, six and a half years in prison. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I always had this pressure to just kind of, you know, go to college, get a degree. And then I got out and I was a special ed teacher just because, like, that was the only thing I could find. Then it was uh, moved to Boston for grad school. But really, I just wanted to do comedy in Boston because I had started stand up and I just, there was no way. Where'd you that, go to grad school? Boston College. You did? Yeah. Where'd went, you do your undergrad? Uh, University of Laverne. And uh, out in, uh, well, just east of L.A. Okay. So, but I I had to have a reason to go to Boston. I couldn't just, like, couldn't bring myself to tell, even though my family were like, hey, you're really good at comedy. I couldn't even, I couldn't wrap my head around telling them, yeah, I'm going to move to Boston just to become a better comedian. So I had to use the cover of graduate school and $50,000 in student loan debts. Yeah, dude. As a reason to do it. But I'm glad I did, cause you know I was either gonna go to Rutgers, Newark, or Boston College, and then uh, Boston ended up being the better scene for me too. I wouldn't have been ready for New York after two years of Seattle open mics. I would have yeah. died. Yeah. I would. I would never have known how to even start.
0: And how? So how long did you do? Were you in Boston? Two years? Uh, about th- almost four. Oh, really? So I stuck
1: around Boston for a little while after I got out of school because I just really enjoyed the ability to get on stage three times a night. And, and where were you getting up at the bounce studio? Bounce around, studio, Nick's Comedy Stop, uh, when The Connection was there, there, all sorts of random bar shows all over the place. Yeah. And this yeah, the studio was great to me. I was comic in residence, I think, uh, when they brought the program back in like 2011. Oh, that's killer. Yeah, so it was every single night while I was also an RA at Boston College, so I would just have the walkie-talkie on and Jeez. bounce and be like, nobody get in trouble, I gotta go open a show. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I literally would because the you know Boston College is straight across the river from Cambridge, so yeah. I lose the walkie-talkie signal right around uh, the Charles River crossing into Cambridge, and so I'd sit there until like you know show starts at eight fifteen. I'm like eight oh five, and then I'm like across the bridge, and then do the spot, and then get right back to see if like anything was going on on the radio that I wasn't
0: responding to. Holy shit! Yeah, it was fun. That is fun. It made stand up more exciting. So. <laughs> It's like me now with my the baby monitor. I mean, my kids aren't babies, but like if we want to go to our neighbor's house, we can. the The monitor will reach, but sometimes it gets out of reach, and you are like, oh, "Am I Damn. a good parent right now?" I actually
1: did that with my. Um, I was uh, when I was in Seattle. I lived in my grandmother's basement, and uh, she she was like not okay with living. She couldn't live alone. She yeah. was you know eighty nine years old, and so on nights where she didn't have someone staying upstairs with her, and I was living in the basement, my mom be like, "Hey, you got to stay. You got to." You know, stay upstairs, make sure Grandma's fine. And I'd take my phone, or her phone, next to her bed, ter- take it off the hook while she was asleep, Yeah, call it from my flip phone, yep. <laughs> flip phone, put that call on hold, and then go to Giggles Comedy Club in the U District. And, like, every 10 minutes, I'd listen in to make sure she wasn't like, help. Holy
0: shit. <laughs> it was. I mean, look, man, the sacrifices you make just to get on stage at certain points uh, in time No, or... this is what I love about you, is, like, that you have this passion that just, you can't stop. I mean, how much were you getting up when you were in Atlanta? Oh man, I was getting up
1: in Atlanta more than L.A. Uh, by a long shot. I was doing every single Wednesday at the Punchline for a different nonprofit. Um, I was doing the Laughing Skull. That's at where least, I recorded my
0: second album with the Laughing Skull. It's such, I mean, it's I such a great room. room. It's yeah. just
1: such a like like comedy savvy audiences for the most part everyone's while, to get like a bunch of drunk dumb drunk yeah you know stumble in through deep, that restaurant deep georgia rednecks who don't get it and want to be part of the show but for the most part man it's great
0: yeah so wait so tell me how the hell how did that marriage end oh that marriage ended with how um, long were you married we were married three more no
1: no we were married technically for a year and a half but after 10 months in Atlanta So she was really like miserable She yeah. was miserable in Atlanta She didn't feel like she had an identity The show had consumed mine yeah. And hers And you know I, I wasn't very good at drawing boundaries Knowing that I had a new relationship basically Was and she working? No Yeah She tried a couple endeavors here and there And and she's an artist I mean she's a musician Yeah So starting over in Atlanta doing music She didn't want to do that She wasn't sure what she wanted to do Then she got on Celebrity uh, Big Brother UK Yeah And I was encouraging her to do that. She did that for the whole summer. The best our relationship had been is when she was on that TV show and she couldn't talk to me. (laughs) Yeah, she can't talk to me.
0: (laughs) By the I thought it was a bad idea. (laughs) So she was more concerned. She wasn't so concerned about sharing her life. She just wanted to share it on her terms, not on someone else. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean,
1: I totally get it looking back at it. And granted, I was really new to this whole concept of morning radio being nothing but a sharing your life my show in seattle was very pop culture heavy and kind of like all for the laughs yeah but really what makes people really listen to you is like oh i, I feel that struggle that drama yeah. i totally get it
0: and in her defense because even though i don't know what other stuff you shared you're probably doing and saying whatever to make sure that you succeed because you're in a new environment exactly. and you want people to like your show.
1: Well, the pressure was on because I'm the new guy on a show that's been established for 15 years, been number one. And everyone in that room has been on it for a minimum of six, seven years. And so your, your pressure to, to be the one who's coming up with ideas that, you know, exploiting themselves or, you, you know, know, doing something that makes people laugh on,
0: in the studio is a pressure that I hadn't felt in a long time, you know. Well, it's funny. You said pressure a bunch today. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where does that come from? Because do you get do you feel pressure doing stand-up? No. See, but, but but carrying a radio show, I guess it's just I mean, what I, I don't know. I've never done it. Well, you know? so here's the thing with radio, which is fascinating,
1: is that you can be the funnier show and lose. Yeah, of course. And it depends on what time you're doing things, the way the Nielsen ratings work, mm-hmm. um, how many people you have listening to you, how committed the station is to marketing you. So it's it's one of those things where stand-up is controllable in the sense that You like funny is funny, and you're on stage, and and even on the worst nights, you have control over the outcome more than you do in radio, and you can murder. Man, we've had shows where a weeks weeks where I've thought that we had like our best week, and we're a new show in L. A. and that you know everyone's getting to know each other still, and we're we're trying to be different than the other shows that are in L. A. and we'll have a week that I think is just crushes, and I'll go look at the ratings, be like, what, like ninth? Like, yeah. that's insane. But then you realize that they're sampling the way the meters work is they're just sampling people. And if someone that usually listens to your show just takes the week off because, I don't know, life, <laughs> they just didn't listen. They're, yeah, They're on spring break or something. Or vacation. Something. Yeah.
0: Or, yeah. And it, it'll kill your ratings. And or a phone call from your mom. Exactly. On any your commute. car dies,
1: your stereo breaks or whatever. So for me, it's like it, it's, it's more pressure because you're – you, you do all these things to try to control the outcome, and then sometimes the outcome is not controllable. You yeah. just have to kind of be consistently good every day and then consistently creative. Yeah. You know, like tomorrow we're doing an, uh, one of our producer, like, divulged he was a black belt. And I was like, "All right, you know, what we're doing tomorrow on the radio. We're breaking karate boards. We're trying to do it on air. Yeah, dude, to see who, like, if he's still got it after 20 years. And Are then you going to try it too? Oh hell yeah! There's yeah. no way I'm not. I mean, pain and <laughs> pain and failure is always funny. To I mean, that, especially as a stand-up. Yeah. So I think when it comes to the the pressure you feel in morning radio, especially when you look like the the money that gets dumped into it, the equipment and stuff, that was something that took me a little bit of a transition to, like, yeah. learning that I have to learn how to." manage the business component of it and uh and not not let that kill my creativity because if you become all business you're going to you're going to suck at this. Yeah, of course. Well, um, you got to have
0: fun. That's what I always appreciate about morning radio because mm-hmm. you know, when you do the road, you do so much morning radio when you're out there promoting your shows and you're like, "Oh, these guys got it figured out. They're yeah. just being giant kids." Yeah. You know what I mean? And making it fun cuz all anyone wants on that commute to their whatever God knows job that people are going to is a reason to laugh, you know? Well, and that's the interesting part because th- those are the good shows that are able to make
1: you uh, lose lose sight of the fact that you may be driving to somewhere you hate going to. The traffic sucks. Even if you love your job, the traffic still sucks. Yeah. And But then they also, <laughs> behind the scenes, you've got people that are very stressed out about numbers and about this and about that and you know it's hard not to when i've just every job i've taken i've had more responsibility and yeah. in Atlanta my responsibility was just to have funny ideas to come in and just swing for the fence which reminded me a lot of working the road because that's all you do no one wants to go into a radio hit at you know 7:15 on a thursday morning and you go in and you, and you just sit there and kind of like, yeah, like, no, yeah, serve me up with my stock joke line about, yeah. you know, I just got a new dog. Hey, how'd you know? I just got a new dog. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I think that's when I learned how, like, that's when I learned that I love doing radio, just sitting in on those shows. Yeah. And did it help your stand up too? Just constantly, especially in Atlanta, like finding new things and making yourself vulnerable to not knowing, you know?
1: it uh It does two things. One of it's good. I think it's both good and bad. You will consistently crank out ideas. Like, I've got notebook pages full of ideas. It helps your improvising a ton. I'm sure. Like, just being able to work with anything, because that's literally what happens every time there's a phone caller on, is you're immediately trying to think about how to make them laugh. A phone caller? Yeah. Phone yeah. phone call. Um, That would be my favorite thing, if I could ever do money is just taking
0: phone calls.
1: yeah. It, well, I mean. it, you have to train him a little bit when we started the amp show, Carson Daly hadn't taken a phone call live in like six years because yeah. you know, he's living in New York, taping his show. So like the first five callers we had on, F bomb immediately. Really? <laughs> yeah, they just because they weren't ready. They just didn't, you know, they hadn't heard phone calls on the radio. They didn't know how to be funny. Yeah, they'd call. We'd have people. They'd they'd be like, yeah, tell us a story. Then
0: all of a sudden, they they'd say like,
1: yeah. And then uh, then he got locked up because he had a
0: gun on him at a mall. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> like, like all right, dude, we gotta cut that call. Yeah, dude. I remember. Have you ever called into radio before you are on radio? No. Nah. So I called in once. I was like, listen to sports talk. I'm like, I'm calling him. I'm calling up. And I sat out front of my house waiting, and I got through, and they're like, Yeah, who's this? I told them. I told them, They're like, All right, Jay, we're going to have you on. Sit tight. And as I sat there, dude, the anxiety <laughs> and fear started to build. I'm like, Holy shit. Oh, God, I'm gonna make it. Holy shit, I'm real, dude. Oh, yeah. And I got on, and I like choked. I just did. I talked so fast, and I couldn't even get my point out. And I was just like, The second the second the radio guy was like, Well, I don't know if I agree with that, you're like, Well, who do you <laughs> mean? <I remember." laughs> Well, I mean, hold on, hold on. But what about if I say this? Yeah, I wanted to like make it work, and it was tough, man. That's a lot of pressure. I mean, the improvising stuff
1: is fun. I, I enjoy that. But that's what makes you a little bit lazy at stand up, you know? Because I'd show up to the, you know, every Wednesday night show with the punchline, and I would do an hour, and sometimes I wouldn't have one thing written, like one joke that I've written. It would all be just improvising which is good, but it's also lazy because if you're trying to develop another hour or another act, you you know, the crowd work stuff is great, but also like it's impossible to refine anything. So I'd try to tape things and go, oh, that was funny. But then nothing's ever funny when you recreate it, especially in an improv moment, like improvising, you know, you can try to recreate the setting, but sometimes it can just come out of a premise that you would never bring up just on your own. Yeah. So it. That made me great but also made me lazy so I've been I've been trying to get better at uh, just being more prepared when I go
0: do shows which can be tiring cuz you know you get, I get up at 4:15 That's right what now. I was going to ask you like how do you even do First of all were you always an early riser on the farm? No I mean I hated it but I was when we had you to get up in Yeah we had to get up in uh, I I had to clean
1: the pigs pen most at of the time At what age? From, uh, from what age? Probably about 8 or 9 was when we were doing that yeah. on our own Yeah, we had to throw our rubber boots on and get out there before. I mean, I one time um, had to help my dad artificially inseminate a pig before school. Yeah, man, I know like that. I know what that was like. 12 years old. There's no way you have a normal day when you just tried to like impregnate a a full grown animal that was
0: running from you. I look back and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that pig was like not into this. How can you even like listen to your teachers after you do that in the morning they're like i brian did you do your i tried to bang a pig this yeah, morning and she was not into it i, I don't know if she,
1: i know she doesn't speak english but i'm pretty sure running means no i'm <laughs> pretty sure i may have violated
0: a pig today but whose farm was it your parents uh,
1: yeah my mom just she quit nursing and just wanted to be like a farming hobbyist so she just wanted pigs and chickens and she trained horses
0: and how uh, many acres did you
1: have we had 17 17. Seventeen acres. Yeah, we had a pond. We had a bunch of. I mean, the farm was great for kids. Did like, you swim in the pond? Uh, we did. You we shouldn't. I mean, leeches would get on you and stuff. Oh
0: shit! Really?
1: Yeah. The first time that I you ever had, had
0: leeches had... on you.
1: Yeah, I got. I had one on my leg. It's not as bad. My brother. My brother, for some reason, I think it's body temperature. I think they're like mosquitoes. Okay. But I think they can like see how infrared style or whatever because <laughs> I guess I run cold because they wouldn't come after me. But my brother Patrick would get leeches on them. Leeches on them all the time. Like how many at a clip? Uh, I remember him getting like three or four at the most, but like, like he had one on his back. Like we were probably 15 minutes away from the pond, walking back to the house, and we're like, "Yo, you still got one on you, dog?"
0: I mean, dude, there's something that like creeps me out about it, but like the idea that you guys just dealt with it—it just got to say something for your like who you turn into. Just kind of rolled the dice
1: on it, and we'd just be like, "Ah, we didn't get that many." I mean, growing up, I was always, I, I guess, on one hand. I was always afraid to take risks on things that I felt I didn't have control over the outcome on. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't good at leaps of faith. I was good at, like, yeah, I'll hit that bike jump. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can do that bike jump. No, I, like, I don't care. Like, I yeah. got that. What do you mean? I thought you said you weren't good at it. No, no, I'm good at stuff I think oh, I can you... control. Not like, hey, I'm just going to kind of, it's in someone else's hands kind of yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. Like, that for me is always intimidating. Yeah. Like, I need to have, I need to have like, some sort of, I feel like I can control the Outcome, that's yeah. why I think that it's more pressure for me to do radio than it is to do stand up, gotcha. yeah, even yeah, on yeah. like the worst nights. Yeah,
0: I get that. Um, so this past weekend, you know, we went to this like picnic with a bunch of other families for Mother's Day, and my son, who's five, was off with his buddy. It's this giant field up at Will Rogers State Park, and his buddy, my friend's kid, is running back, and my son's running behind him. And you know, as he's getting closer, I'm like, What's he doing? What's he screaming? And he's not. He's like bawling and his face is red and he had stepped on a bee barefoot and got stung. When was the last time you got stung by a bee? It's been a long time, but I remember
1: I remember vividly stepping on a bee about seven, eight years old and like, you don't forget that. Dude,
0: I mean he was losing his mind. I got stung like six years ago and I remember being like, Holy fuck, this is the worst. You know, it's the worst. and I kept telling my son, I'm like, I know it's the worst, dude. And my wife, like, pulled the stinger out. And I remember, like, looking down, being like, Is that a splinter? Like, at first we didn't know. And she pulled it out. And we're like, Oh, it's, you got a splinter. And then we're like, He just kept going on. I'm like, No, this is a beast thing. Like, you yeah, would a swell up. And, oh, like... well, like, my friend had like a first aid kit and started, like, you know, swabbing it. But leeches don't hurt. But I imagine, I mean, if they stay on too long, what can happen? Do you know? I mean, I I think they just fill up with they just take Blood? their fill and then they go. I think they just let go. I don't th-
1: I don't think they just stay there forever. I don't honestly remember them. Like I feel like it was more of like a like they were whatever their sucking mechanism is. Just a bunch of mosquito like yeah yeah. I think mean, they just yeah. kind of stick little st- like little pokies into you. yeah. And they, these were like tiny ones. These weren't like and weren't like you know Vietnam <laughs> leeches whatever <laughs> the size of like catfish yeah.
0: All I think about though is you growing up on a farm, like, uh, yeah, you know, my aunt got smallpox and she died. (laughs) She died out in the barn. We, uh, man, we were just, we were maniacs. You lost the
1: farm, right? Yeah, yeah, we lost the farm. My dad went to prison. It's still there. My mom is like, my mom every once in a while will like send me like a real estate listing for it. And I'm like, I'm not buying that thing. Like, as as cool as and like in the nostalgic part of me it would be like yeah buy the old farm and like, it's on an a, island right yeah I don't want an yeah. old rundown farmhouse that like you know I, I'm good I've moved on from that situation like, yeah I you know
0: she's like but I haven't Brian I know
1: but I have so many memories there I'm like yeah some of them are crap though too mom yeah. like, <laughs> just let just let that place go yeah. I mean. We almost killed ourselves just hundreds of times at that place. We used to just I'm sure. We had nothing to do. I remember one time we just started throwing apples at. Um, we had a mini bike, like a Honda fifty, mm-hmm. and someone would be driving by at like twenty five, thirty miles an hour, and the rest of us would be just sitting on the roof throwing apples at him as hard as we could from the apple tree. Yeah, and it, if you got hit like in a vital organ area or a headshot, like we had, to, we got to switch and someone else got to go on the motorcycle. And we remember hitting my cousin like right in the neck and he took his hands off the handlebars and grabbed his throat oh. and drove right into a hot wire fence, which then clotheslined him again and wrapped around him, and he was just shrieking. And then we had to do the thing where, because he was probably like 12, yeah. we're like, you better not tell anybody this happened. My and how mom, old were you? I'm probably 15, 16. <laughs> but he want, hey, you want to play with the big guys, man? You know we invented it. a game, and you we're we none of us had driven yet. He wanted to go first, so there you go, Tony. <laughs> Jump on that Tony, bike. Tony, you
0: little bitch. Jump on that bike. Uh, that's crazy. I mean, I always had fantasies of like growing up on a farm. And I love the idea. Don't you love, though, that you had that? Because now you just like tackle life differently, don't you think? I mean, I guess if
1: I look back at it, I probably do. I think I went through a time in my early – like from 18 to – I want to say 18 to about 28, 27, 28. I went through a period of time where I was a little bit nervous about everything. I think it's because – I was so comfortable on an island, right? It was so yeah. easy, like life was so simple. How many people on that island? Uh like 60,000, but, oh, okay. but it's but it's 65-70 miles long. Yeah. So in my community maybe like 8,000 people. And our high school had 400 kids and like that's really all I ever knew was was being up there playing football, playing basketball, goofing around in the summer times. Like you know you knew everybody, you knew How often were you going off islands? maybe once a week when i got into high school more cuz i was playing basketball in seattle a little more yeah but i think that's when i started to question like whoa man maybe i'm not the best at everything because <laughs> you get fake dude i mean like on an island when you have fo- when you have 100 kids in your graduating class and you're playing football against other schools that are of the same size from other yeah. rural parts of the Pacific Northwest, like, and I'm 6'4, 225 pounds. I'm just running people over. Yeah, like, I'm good. like, football is the greatest sport in the world. Were you tight end, I play quarterback. You and did, I, yeah, and I let you us stop. I let us in rushing and throwing. Like, I was, I had more touchdowns. I just could because I you was get recruited anywhere. Uh, I got recruited as a tight end to play at Penn State and at uh, University of Washington, Jesus. They Why wanted, did you
0: not take that instead of going to burn? Uh, because Laverne? I had this
1: basketball dream. I just wanted to play basketball my whole life. And I look back at and Now, granted, I don't. I don't part of me is like, man, football would have been pretty cool. I wonder if I could have gone, you know. I wonder how far that would have gone. Yeah. Because um, when we walked in today, I remember I looked at you and I was like,
0: Jesus Christ. You've like you you got a, a frame, you bro. You look like a bully. <laughs> yeah, you
1: do. So I was like, but basketball just, I wanted to play basketball. And I think. I had just sunk so much of my uh, energy into playing basketball. Laverne was in California. I wanted to go to California. and I think that when I started playing basketball and I realized like, oh my God man, this is like there are a lot of really good basketball players because we were playing you like, played in college? Yeah, we were playing like UCLA. And I remember Damn. Matt Barnes like drop step dunking on me from the free throw line and I was I just had like an elbow in his back and I was a freshman and he just drop stepped and just I didn't even know he was that close to the rim <laughs> because I was just covering the distance with him. Yeah. But he was, you know, six foot nine and just dunked it on me and I was like, Wow, NBA out the door. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> like I just realized my dream was over. Yeah. Right there. What did you? St- I mean, what are they? D two, D three, D two, D two. But I, but I had that thing where like, yeah, man, I'm D two because I come from a small high school, and you know what I mean. Like, yeah, bro. But you could still make it, man. You could be like a shooting <laughs> guard. I was sitting in the team room um, at Laverne freshman year, and LeBron James was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a junior in high school. Yeah, man. And it was that article about how much of a phenom he was. How Michael Jordan flew him to like his like Jumpman like elite camp, and I remember sitting there going like, Yeah, huh? you're not gonna you're not gonna make the NBA, man." <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> what am I doing here? Uh, like,
1: oh, a good thing I like my friends. Like the guys I was playing with were all good dudes because I would have been out of there just like I would have gone to a school that would have been more fun. You know, Inland yeah. Empire is not exactly like the hotbed for college. Yeah, no, I can't. It's
0: just a lot of fast food. The IE, baby. Inland Empire. Um, Know it. So, recently you've been posting on uh, social about this charity that you've been given to. You want to talk about that at all? What's up with that? Um, Well, my
1: brother had colon cancer.
0: Yeah, I knew that. Okay, so he,
1: he, at 30- But he's got through it. Yeah, 34, he was, uh, it's actually kind of like, it's kind of a- You guys have always been close, yeah? Yeah, he's one of my best friends. He, uh, Patrick had colon cancer and it was crazy. He was just having stomach problems and we've all had, in my family, we've all had stomach issues, right? All that so, dairy, bro. Right? Yeah. All that home, home. Well, we my mom had us do eating goat cheese that she was making. So, yeah. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I've always wanted to make goat cheese. Really? Yeah. Uh, it smells awful. It does. I mean, we were milking goats one time when I was, I don't want to say like seven or eight years old, maybe seven. And I got on the bus and some big kid told me I smelled like piss. And I told him, and he told him, he asked me if I peed my pants, and I was like, nah, man, it's probably the goat's,
0: oh like, my the goat's God. pee
1: was on my, I don't know, it was disgusting. I wonder why you don't
0: want to have a farm again, you're having these freaking oh, PTSD from flashbacks, goat piss. Um, so he was
1: like, he was, he, he like was constipated for two weeks, and he's always had hemorrhoid issues and stuff, and so he goes to I get mean, a- do you- <laughs> <laughs> what? I love that you're just sharing that. You know, my brother's got crazy hemorrhoids. I mean, it's part of his story. It ain't cold.
0: You got hemorrhoids,
1: bro. Hemorrhoids. That's what doctors were telling him. His doctors really? were late, straight up telling him. He had this doctor telling him, like, there's nothing wrong. You don't need a colonoscopy. You just have hemorrhoids. You're an actor. You're always stressed out. Like, you're going to be fine. And finally, he was just like, you know what? No, I want to get a colonoscopy. I got to see what's up there. Like, I haven't, you know, like, I haven't pooped in, like, two weeks. And we were all really Damn. concerned for him. So we take him in to get his colonoscopy. They put him under for it, right? And then the whole thing was like, I'm like, this is going to be so funny for the radio. I'm going to tape him when he comes out. Yeah. And so I'm taping him, and he's being a goofball, like, talking about how he wants to be, like, the best Uber driver on the planet. Like, that's his new plan now. Because he's all loopy. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to drive, like, Vin Diesel and Fast and Furious. (laughs) And I'm like, and we're laughing. Ah, And this doctor comes in, and the doctor, like, starts talking about it. He's like, yeah, you had eight polyps that we removed, but one is like we can't remove it with the colonoscopy you're going to have to get surgery on it to remove that piece of your colon and immediately everything got like way less funny <laughs> it was like <laughs> yeah. oh crap i just i just literally taped him telling my brother he needs to get part of his colon removed then yeah. we're asking questions like nah i think they can go through like you know your stomach you know parts of your stomach like you'll have like, some scars but and um I was like, man, that's way more serious. And Pat was like, wow, trying to wrap his head around it. He's like, but you know, we're going to send, I took a piece of it. We're going to send it off uh, for a biopsy. And then on Monday, the doctor called him and he's like, look, it's definitely colon cancer. Like I knew that on Friday, but I didn't want to mess up your weekend.
0: Jesus, I would have been like, "Hey,
1: <laughs> dick face!" Well, he goes, he goes. I knew it was I knew it was cancer on Friday. I just wanted the biopsy results back, but I fast tracked them so I had the results Friday afternoon. But I also, you're 34 years old. I didn't want you drinking yourself to death or something yeah. wild. So uh, he had a third of his colon removed, did 12 rounds of chemo um which was just god awful really and uh he has been doing a lot of research and dealing with the insurance companies and stuff and and were you in LA you were in LA for Yeah, this. I yeah. just moved to LA to do the radio show which yeah. is you know kind of a crazy just coincidence of just you know being here He uh he started doing research and found that the American Cancer Society they now recommend you get your colonoscopy first at 45 right Mhm Used to be 50 we all heard like the yeah shove a camera up your ass
0: jokes right Yeah and because uh, it's, cool. we heard it when we were like graduating high school. Everyone was going in for their exam for college, like yeah. their physical. And I remember we all used to like hang out in this parking lot in my town and play wiffle ball at night during the summer. And we were all talk. Everyone was starting to get these checkups, and one dude was like, "Did they put a- his finger in your ass?" And another dude's like, "Yeah, I got the finger in the ass." And I'm like, "Oh, does that happen at 18?" They're like, "Yeah, I didn't get it." And then someone else goes. Yeah, and he was also like, did he do that thing where he like grabbed your penis and he like he tugs it and he was like, move? And we were like, dude, <laughs> what? what checkup did you Jeez. get? It was, and he was dead. He wasn't like fucking really? around. Yeah. He was like, yeah, he just wanted to see if he could get it. I know, don't know
1: what he was doing. He wanted to see if I could get an erection. You know <laughs> what I mean? He wanted to see if I was healthy. Now. See how healthy I was. You're like, yeah, everyone's talking about it. And you're like, no, dude, that's not how that, that's, wow. that's not what that is, dude. So they moved it up from 50 to 45. And yeah, now, yeah. And now, but really, a lot of doctors are saying, look, it should be 40. Like forty should be your first colonoscopy because of how like preservatives have changed in foods and things. And
0: can you be preventative about it?
1: Yeah, by eating less preserved, less red meats, um, and just flat out. Some of it's just genetics. Yeah. So um, he did all that stuff, and he's been really proactive in terms of you know preventing colon cancer and colon cancer awareness because it's the one of the only cancers that is one hundred percent preventable with colonoscopies. So I had my colonoscopy last week, which. To be honest, the worst part is that flush. They make you do this flush before, yeah, where you have to drink this uh, magnesium sulfate concoction, yeah, and immediately your stomach just uh, like becomes a shoot, and you're just it's just liquids flying in one end out the other, yeah, for seven hours. Yeah, my buddy told me about this recently. It's like it's something where. How much did you weigh before and after? Did you try that? No, I didn't. I don't have a scale in my crappy apartment. Yeah. I just, I just know that I felt, like, empty.
0: <laughs> and my,
1: uh, my ass was on fire. Oh. I'm like, sh- on fire, because you, you, you sit on the toilet for seven hours with just water <laughs> shooting through you. It's so disgusting. And then you go in for the colonoscopy, and, you, like, they knock you out. You fall asleep, you wake up, and then you're good to go. Yeah. And they were, they, I had five polyps, but they were – four of them were, like, easy to remove, and one was, like – they were, uh, like, ah, one's a little bigger than we'd like it to be for your age. Are we all going to have polyps? It's very common that men over the age of 30 will have a couple polyps, and then by 40 you'll have a couple polyps. It's the problem is you just don't want them being of a certain type where they're cancerous. Because yeah. polyps aren't bad, but they can become cancerous, so you want to just get them removed. Yeah. Um, my brother has to get a colonoscopy, I believe, every two to three years or something like that from yeah. now well, on, just to Sure. Yeah, he's only got a th- you know He's two-thirds of his colon, so um. But the whole thing was, the and th- what my brother's been finding out, which is sad but also makes sense is that the reason they don't drop that age is because so many lobbyists for the insurance companies like pay money to keep it they don't want to they don't want to start paying for colonoscopies when you turn 35 like insurance companies because they cost 60 grand 70 grand each one yeah it's really expensive to knock somebody out and do the whole procedure to go up
0: inside the colon I bet just for the insurance of knocking someone out because there's a chance of death yeah so, they, but, so now you see this kind of push and pull
1: between insurance and healthcare providers of, hey, look, we need to lower the age. And then, you know, the American Cancer Society probably said, like, look, the doctors want it to be 40. You, you guys want it to be 50. We'll split the difference at 45 right now. But once you have That's one family member who has colon cancer, yeah. um, especially a sibling, within 10 years on each side, you, you're covered to get one. So if I was 24 right now or 44, I'd be good to go
0: get one. Interesting yeah
1: it's I mean it's crazy, just you think that uh for my brother, if he would have waited another year, it would have been it was already stage three, <sighs> and once once colon like you know like like most cancers are you know some are more aggressive than others, but colon cancer is one that doesn't come on real fast generally, yeah but also you don't have any symptoms really until you start feeling like your body's like tell your your body's trying to tell you like, yo,
0: there's something wrong down here yeah. Um, with like the constipation and the hemorrhoids and stuff see you know what's crazy is like you know my dad wasn't around as a kid so like there's stuff that like my dad had mm-hmm. and I just never knew to even check it because he was never around yeah like he was gone so I didn't know that like he had heart things or you know but colon colon like gone uh, gone like not just not in the picture yeah not in the picture like no communication oh not, wow not seeing him from you know I didn't see him from Like 10 or 12 Somewhere in there Mm -hmm. Till I was 36 Jeez Yeah And then that was The last time I saw him But like um, Yeah so you You gotta communicate In your families Yeah what genetically
1: Is the problem too I, I think like I know that they've made that argument for 23 and Me about that. Oh, you can find out some health risks. And I'm like, also, yeah, but then do you guys keep our DNA on file? <laughs> <I'm> like, yeah. <laughs> are you making me again? Exactly. Are you cloning superhuman to play football again at Southwood Bee High School?
0: Yeah. Is that what you're doing? I'm on your games. Or are you... Making someone that's going to get the Tonight Show before me? <laughs> because there's only so many Listen, spots
1: for me. I'm trying. Uh, uh, I, you know Maybe this next version of me will be a little bit better at like
0: sticking to the whatever jokes that they have planned out. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what I found most interesting about that fundraise you did, you set your target goal at $200. Isn't that correct? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I just, I just remember being like, Jesus, Moot. Bump it <laughs> up, dude. What well, are you trying to do here? So what happened was is that it asked
1: you- Facebook would be like, "Hey, your birthday's coming up. Do you want to set a
0: fundraiser?" Yeah.
1: And I was like, "Yeah, fight colorectal cancer." Like that's a that's an organization that my brother is working with and and I've, he
0: lost, so.
1: Yeah, I've talked to, right? <laughs> so, I'm like, "Yeah, let's uh let's let's do that." And then it's I just clicked like like yeah let's do it and then they posted it on facebook and i was like all right whatever but you're right. i didn't even know it was 200 that is funny i remember being bucks, like That's jesus christ we're... i thought he was doing all right this is where he's setting his standards <laughs> listen jay we don't need that much to fight colorectal <laughs> cancer they're almost there it'd be ridiculous if I sounds like more. you need 60 grand i mean that i had to pay for mine i had to pay 1200 out of pocket just because of my deductible
0: Damn. Yeah,
1: but I don't do. I mean, I, look, I'm I'm new with this insurance thing. I mean, you know, as a comedian for yeah. a decade, I just rolled the dice and was just like, I I feel fine. Yeah, dude, I've rolled it for so. I rolled it with car insurance. I didn't even have car insurance. Yeah, I mean, until
0: what? Until you get married and you have kids, then you got to stay on top of all that insurance. I, yeah, so. dude. When I met my wife, I remember like we just started dating and like we were supposed to like hang out. I can't remember what happened. And I was bartending and she showed up at the bar and she's like, Hey, how are you? I'm like, Good. She's like. You know, I've been, uh, I'm not trying to stalk you or anything, but I was trying to call you and your phone shut off. And I'm like, yeah, it just gets shut I'm off from time Sometimes to I time. Know. It's not shut off. I, I shut it down. And, you know. I so just... then she's like, well, what time are you off? And I'm like, I'm off in like 30 minutes. She's like, do you want to hang out? I'm like, yeah, totally. And she's like, all right, I'll, I'll wait for you. I'm like, all right. And I came out to the car and she's like, I paid your phone bill. And I was like, you did? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, this girl's forever. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, she proposed to you, right? There. Yeah,
1: dude. Yeah, I remember like, uh, even now with my girlfriend, she'll go, uh, she'll say something like, oh, God, I got to pay for insurance because she's a real estate agent and she's a 1099. Yeah. She's like, God oh, I got to pay so much for insurance. And I'm like, eh, not, I remember what? What's the worst thing that happened? And she's like, no, you have to have insurance. She's like, one. I'm a woman, and we have a lot more like mandatory Hell appointments yeah. than you dudes. Do. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I didn't go to anything for a good decade. I was Nothing. not doing doctor, dentist. No. It's like if it feels fine, it's fine. Yeah, but then, but then, just to see the look, the mortified look on her face when I
0: when I told her that, she's like, "How did you live?" And I'm like, "I didn't be all right." You know, I never even thought of that until you just said it. That women do have to go; they need to go all the time. Yeah, and that's know?
1: drilled into their head from you know. The moment they first go to a gynecologist, totally. I I did a thing for radio in Atlanta called Live Like a Woman Week, uh-huh. and we had to go to like, we had a, I think one one year I had to get a Brazilian wax, which is like just the worst. <laughs> I can't even. And they put wax in your butt; it's just awful. Ugh. And uh, we had to go to a gynecologist's office and like sit in the stirrups. Like they didn't do anything to us, but then they just showed us all the probing instruments yeah. and all that stuff. And I was like, Good lord, this is like a, this is like if you were. Coming out of anesthesia, you would think that you were abducted by aliens. Yeah. For because sure. Because of all the tools that you see laying around this thing. These weird devices that are going to go up in, up in crevasses of all sorts. Just <laughs> Pri- oh, crevasses. dude. Pri- I like it. It's a funny comedy. What are you, medieval? Cre- crevasses.
0: Crevasses. Up in my crevasse. Crev- my yeah, coat. so they don't have a choice, so that the women can't wrap their head around the fact that you would just be like,
1: eh, whatever. Yeah, no
0: kidding, dude. I would never be down for that. Um,. Dude, this is awesome, man. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for hanging out with me. Thanks for letting me come hang out. You can come by the studio anytime, Jay. What about everyone listening? Can they come? Yeah, by? you guys want to come by fifty
1: six seventy Wilshire Boulevard, suite two hundred. You can play the claw machine. It's do
0: not play the miss packing <laughs> machine because it's <laughs> you'll, go, you'll go crazy. Um, I mean, I'm going to do this in your intro, but. The radio show is on every morning and people can listen to that across the country, right? Yeah, 97.1 Amp Radio in LA and then also radio.com just type in Amp Radio Morning Show. Boom. Yeah. Check it out. Thanks, B. All right. Hope you guys love that. Uh, that was Brian Moot. Again, give him a follow over at uh, Moot Comedy on Instagram. Such a great dude and uh interesting to hear a perspective of comedian who sits on the other side of the mic so uh great guy loved having him appreciate you guys uh tuning in and look forward to uh bringing you a new show next week